0: Source of true delight My unseenado Unveil thy beauties to my sight That I might love thee more Oh that I might love thee more You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding, dying Lord. Let's hear God's word as we hear Matthew's account of Jesus instituting the supper. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, again, page nine fifty-eight, first Corinthians eleven, seventeen through thirty four. so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is God's word. We would do well to heed it. Amen.
1: Let's pray. O gracious Lord, you who have given us this word, as Peter declares that, it is the Spirit of Christ that has given even the Old Testament and certainly the Spirit of the this, that Christ through His Spirit that has given us all that we have here. We thank You, Lord, that You give Your Spirit to renew us, to bring us into union with Yourself. And You give us Your Spirit to open up this Word that we might feast upon it and, Lord, be built up and strengthened by it and not ignore it in unbelief. Lord, enable us to believe the truth and enable us more to explore the meaning of the supper that you've given, this proclamation of your death. Lord, bless us that all the more we will benefit from it, that we will better understand the gospel, better understand the implications of your death to every part of our lives. Oh, Lord, bless us and equip us we ask this in the precious name of Jesus amen <clears throat> uh, we've we've seen that when we come to the lord 's table, even though the word remember do this in remembrance of me it 's not something as as bland and uh, ultimately meaningless perhaps or at least ineffectual as a pause in a uh, stadium to remember some people who've passed away, just this moment of pause of remembrance, you know. Uh, for some people, perhaps that's about all that the Lord's Supper is. This is associated sometimes with the reformer Zwingli, although it's not altogether accurate in that regard, but uh, in Zwingli's uh, Teaching what was more prominent than what God was doing for us in the supper is what we're doing for God, our declaration to God, our confession of Him. But we, our church, and we think the scripture teaches that what's primarily being done here is His gift to us in this. That's radically opposed to the Roman Catholic view because, in their view, Christ is actually offered on the altar. His, he's, he really makes fresh atonement week after week after week. And f- sins are atoned for because the real body and blood of Jesus are offered and sacrificed. That's directly opposed to what we think the Lord's Supper is and what Scripture teaches, that it's something to be received. It is a gift from God. It is... The gift of Christ himself to us its the gift of all of his benefits to us. And they are connected, joined with these signs so that as we embrace the signs and partake the signs, we believe, as Paul taught earlier in 1 Corinthians 10, that it is a participation in Christ's body and blood. That's what Paul says. It is a participation, a koinonia, in the very body and blood of Christ. Now, I'll talk about that just for a minute. Maybe this can clear a few cobwebs or help us get at this idea of his body and, and his blood. When it talks about this, it you ha- we have to bear in mind that Christ, of course, he's crucified, he's resurrected, he's at the right hand of the Father in his new glorified body. And yet, the supper is to bring us in union or to help us know and believe our union that we have with Christ. But it's interesting that Christ presents himself and declares himself, as the gospel declares him, as Christ crucified. Always. We he will never let us forget that. He will never think that we can have him aside from regarding him as the one crucified. So uh, for instance, he is he is not then this uh, nice person that comes alongside and becomes our personal assistant to help us through the day, you know. A bigger Somebody strong person that kind of comes alongside and helps us. Apart from this declaration of Christ crucified. We've been studying Revelation in Sunday school and there he is called again and again the Lamb. That's the shorthand for the extended version, which is in chapter 5 of Revelation, the Lamb that was slain. So all the way through Revelation... It's understood, the lamb that was slain, the lamb that was slain, the lamb that was slain. Don't think you can have this Christ unless you recognize who he is. He's the lamb that was slain. He's the lamb that was given, that was sacrificed. And so in the supper itself, we are to deal with, and this is to remind us that the gospel itself is to deal with Christ and him crucified. So that he is raised at the right hand of the Father to this, because of the full accomplishment of his work. His body has new life and new virtue. And from him, from his total person, through the Holy Spirit, we receive that life and renewal. We receive all the benefits of his death as the Holy Spirit brings them to us and applies them to us. And what is true then in our life, in every day, is just reinforced and epitomized and strengthened by the supper itself as we actually take the symbols of His death, His body and blood. And so we are to embrace the crucified Christ. There is no kindly, unwounded friend (laughs) who helps us through our problems Only the wounded for you, Christ. Only the slain for you, Christ. Only the sacrificed for you, Christ. Crucified for you, Christ. And this always then displays the immensity of his love. It displays the radical seriousness and intensity of our sin. And it displays the greatness of his accomplishment in bearing its punishment. That can never leave our minds. can never leave our minds. And... It's the sweetest contemplation. It's the most liberating contemplation that I can think of my sin and not have to hide from it and not have to excuse it, not have to run from it, but to bring it to Him because He is a crucified one. He, he has accomplished salvation. He has died in my place. He has borne my punishment. And so in the supper, I actually, as in the gospel itself... I'm receiving all that he is, all that he has, all that he has accomplished. Or maybe a shorthand is to say all that he is and everything that he's won through his death and resurrection. But you see, this new life never leaves the idea of it was won by crucifixion. He's resurrected only because he was crucified, only because he has accomplished this great work to win our forgiveness and our transformation and to consecrate us to God. And so he's he's the sacrificed but living Christ and he stands ready, he stands willing, he stands able to deed over to me all that He is, all that He has, all that He has accomplished. Because we could say, in this way, we just draw from Christ. We just come to Christ. Uh, But Christ wants us to remember His body sacrificed. He wants us to realize that all of our salvation comes from that great work so that we get to Him, you might say, and we get Him by receiving the tokens of His body and blood in particular, which is the same as the gospel. Because Paul would, as he's summarizing his preaching of Christ, always say it's Christ and Him crucified. It's the word of the cross. And so at the center of our relationship to Him is to see that He is the seed that's been buried in the ground, the seed that has died, that alone now gives fruitfulness and life and forgiveness and resurrection for us. So this is, this is our, our great inheritance, our, the, the, the great statement for helpless sinners to come and continue to draw upon Christ and His life. This is the proclamation of the gospel that all that Christ is has been given to us in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this passage in 1 Corinthians 11, if you're there on page 958, after, and we've considered much of this already, but I'd like to talk about verse 26. Because uh, he, he he, he's, he's dealing with a problem in the church, obviously. And we've talked about this some, that there was apparently a meal that they would have every time they gathered for worship, and as a part of the meal connected to worship, they would then have the Lord's Supper in the midst of this meal, connected with this meal. And yet a vital part of the meal, of course, was sharing what they had and dealing with one another as uh, belonging to one another and connected to one another, and yet they were denying that union. They were denying the very meaning of the death of Christ. Uh, Because His death (coughs) speaks of His own self-sacrifice, His own love for us, and as they're taking the very symbols of His love for them, they're acting in hatred toward one another. (coughs) And so, he rehearses with them, verses 23 through 25, what Jesus originally said. And he's trying to underscore the meaning of it. This is my body, which is for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. You are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And so... How can you live out of accord with this? But let's look at this statement in verse 26 more closely. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We've talked some about this word proclaim. It means to speak or preach publicly, to publish and declare it openly. And it's present tense. You are proclaiming the Lord's death in in doing this. It means not only that we are proclaiming this to the whole world, but we are also proclaiming our participation in it. We're witnesses to our own personal involvement in this death. We're not simply proclaiming it, but by our very action, we are proclaiming it by saying, this is mine. I take it to myself. It's a way to announce I'm taking this for my redemption, and I'm taking this for my lifestyle. Oh, world, this is who I am. See? A proclamation of self-definition, so to speak. It's a way to say, this is my dependence in life. This is my help. This is my life. This defines who I am and what I do, why I'm here, where I am going. It declares his death, but it declares your personal engagement in his death. Now, all the more, of course, as he underscores the meaning of it, is it inconsistent that they would be hating one another in the midst of it, right? Because they are proclaiming their own involvement, their own participation in this. And, of course, it is in that way the most graphic commendation to people. Here is what I'm feasting upon. Here's what I depend on. Here's what I rejoice in. Here's the meaning of my life. It, it's a way, therefore, not just for us to come in as a community, but for us to think about how do I live this out in a dark world? How do I manifest what I'm proclaiming? How do I, draw as I draw life from this Christ and are conform to His death, how will it affect me as I live before this world. And then he has this phrase, until he comes, which shows that the Lord's supper, while it gives us Christ, it makes us long for Christ. So if we really are tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, if we're really enjoying and uh, delighting in him and receiving him, it makes us all the more want him to the full. You know, I. I just, I just can't have one little taste of bluebell vanilla. I just can't, you know. Don't let me touch it. Don't let me see it. If I can't have it, you know. If I can't have, and of course, as I've said before, I, there are many nights that I've taken the tub and I, I bring it down like that, you know. Just, I don't know. It looks neater that way somehow. <clears throat> Like nobody has ravaged his own body by eating the ice cream. <clears throat> and that's what the Lord's Supper does. You proclaim until He comes. It, it lands us in a tension, doesn't it? it? It doesn't take away the tension of having salvation, but not having all of salvation. It, it raises that tension in a sense. And so while we're satisfied in Him... And delighted in Him, we are in a sense not satisfied because we want Him. We want Him to come. We want Him to manifest Himself. This draws us to want Him fully and finally. So that these are the pledges and promises and and really previews of the marriage supper of the Lamb. We, We are tasting of the new creation in Christ as He's giving Himself to us from His throne where he is bodily and yet he communicates himself through the Holy Spirit in the gospel and in, and in the supper. And, and we feed upon him through the Holy Spirit. We are nourished through the Holy Spirit. And so it catches us into the story of this crucified, resurrected Christ that is finally going to come and renew all things. And unite all things in himself, as Paul says in Ephesians 1. Or reconcile all things to himself, as he says in Colossians 1. And it reminded me of that great passage in Psalm 16, verse 11, which Peter quotes in his first sermon. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so for us, in our, in our worship, in our prayers, in praises, and confessions, in the preaching of the Word, in the Lord's Supper, we're really tasting of those forever pleasures at the right hand of God. But we long to have them for the full. We long to have the full renewal of new creation. And as Calvin talks about this phrase, until he comes... He says, we always stand in need of such an aid as this as long as we're living in this world. Until he comes, we continue to draw for him and depend upon him. We continue to be helpless and dependent and fragile and vulnerable and fallible and weak. We must have your life day by day, hour by hour, as declared in this supper that you are our life. We must have you from the throne of God give yourself to us freely and abundantly through the Holy Spirit day in and day out until you come. Until you come. Now, moving toward the second part of our study, the discerning of the body, all of this declaration is still in the context of holding forth the meaning of the supper in order that he can address these abuses of the supper, right? That's the context in which he is dealing with the Lord's Supper here. And so he goes on to say in verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, in the first place, this does not apply to an intellectual understanding of the meaning of the supper. Though it might include that, that's not really the focus here. It's to a moral, reprehensible abuse of the meaning of the supper, right? That's what this is regarding. Not a deeper, a better intellectual understanding of the gospel. So, it is the primary point then is that your attitude and conduct of your life must fit the message that is being proclaimed in the supper, which is the Lord's death. Meyer puts it this way, in a way morally out of keeping with the nature and design of the Lord's Supper. Now, it's not a sacrilege against the elements themselves, that we're committing a sacrilege because the elements are special in that regard. You know, this is the real body of Christ the real blood of Christ or whatever in that way. Uh, but it's, it's, and it's not so much... Though this is a popular understanding of body here that uh, we're, we're speaking of the body of, of Christ. The reason we would say this is not the case is because he says guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That is not a way you would describe the body of Christ, not discerning the body. So it's, it's not focused on the elements. It's not focused on the society, so speak. It's focused Because it's a sin against Christ himself, claiming identification with Christ while using the celebration of the meal as an occasion for enhancing our status, for pushing others away to disregard and despise uh, those people. And so we are standing in flagrant opposition to everything that the supper is proclaiming. So it's on Christ and Him crucified that we don't discern the very meaning of Christ laying Himself out for us and the implications for our lives. And this is to bring drink judgment to ourselves. And it's interesting how uh, many times will uh, that people will be more concerned, and I understand this, more concerned about how they take the Lord's Supper than how they come to worship. And I just want to say that it's one and the same thing, right? It's like in Matthew 5 when he says if you are there worshiping and you have your uh, sacrifice on the altar and you remember that you have something against your brother, your brother has something against you, then you go and straighten that out. Leave worship, you know. So while it is true that you will eat and drink judgment to yourself, even if you're not having the Lord's Supper, and you're attending worship, and acting like everything's okay, and worshiping God and praising God while you are harboring hatred against a brother or sister over a period of time, this becomes your way of life. You're, You're attending worship to your own judgment as well. So There's not this kind of magic thing that, well... You can can go to worship as long as they're not having the Lord's Supper and just continue to go to worship for the rest of your life and hate your brother. You'll be okay then, but don't do it while you have the Lord's Supper. See what I'm saying? It's just that this, in an emphatic way, declares what we hold to be true in all of our life. That we are a communion of believers. That we've been constituted together as his people. And... We must recognize who we are in Christ. And I read this great little section reading through uh, Michael Horton's systematic theology. And this really excellent section talking about the church. And one little paragraph I thought was so good as he's talking about how the church is primarily not, even though American Christianity thinks it is, it is not primarily a volunteer organization. And of course, he talks about how churches are putting out their wares to the lowest bidder, you know, and trying to win the, uh, the, the volunteer, win the person who in the church is looked upon as just your platform for doing what you want to do with your life or platform for doing the kind of work that you want to do in your life. And rather than seeing the church as constituted by God and offering the grace of God that helpless people are called into and constituted a community under the glory of God and under the word of God. But he talks about this, that we are what we are by God's choice and not our own. Okay, we Presbyterians, we believe that. As Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Okay, we're all chosen. Here's some implications of that. Therefore, these other people with whom I'm gathered were given to me. I love that little phrase. These people were given to me, chosen by God for me. It wasn't my choice. It really wasn't their choice. It's God's choice that he constituted us as he has. It's His sovereign will that He has put us together. Chosen for me these as my brothers and sisters. And so we're commanded to love one another as those who've been selected by God for us to love. It's just like, you go love them. (laughs) These right, yeah, these right here. I've chosen them. I've given them to you. I've given you to them. You go love them because they're now yours, because I've chosen them, and they belong to you. So we're not free, to, as he says, to develop our own identity in continuity simply with the givens of racial, ethnic, socio-economic, or consumer affinities. We're not free to do that. We're not free to be a homogeneous church because that's the way the church will best grow as church growth had it years ago. No, he gathers from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He gathers whoever he will, and he puts them together to demonstrate the grace and glory of God in a broken humanity. And of course, that's that's what's being declared in the Lord's Supper that we lay down our lives for one another, that we receive one another, that we forgive one another, that we accept the stranger and the broken and the sinner because we are broken, we are sinners, we were lost. The death of Christ declares that I helplessly was saved. So who will I turn down now? Who will I look down upon if this is the Christ that I worship, who was crucified for me, who had to bear the awful punishment and justice of God in my place? Who am I going to look down upon? Who do I think I am? That's what the death of Christ declares to us. But not under, you know, this... Terrible, guilty, obligation. godly. I feel so bad. Oh, I don't like people. i got to start liking people. Supposedly, it's in looking at His greatness and His glory and His beauty. It's in experiencing His forgiveness. It's in knowing the shalom, the peace of Christ that passes all comprehension. It's, it's in rejoicing in Him. As Jesus said, right next to the verse where He says, as I have loved you, so love one another. As you've heard me say so many times, he says, I- I'm telling you this so that my joy will be in you and that your joy will be full. There's this freedom of happiness and boundless, energetic joy that can be had the more and more and more we learn to lay down our lives for those that are very much unlike us. And... We all know we do it. We—we we, it's so easy to do. I like to surround myself with people like me, people like me who like me. I'm reminded of this phrase. This guy in uh, the Sound of Music. He's out, you know, visiting with the count, and he's sitting out on the veranda, enjoying really good food, and he says, "I like rich people." I like the way rich people live. I like the way I live when I'm with rich people. (laughs) You know, it's just out there with it, you know. (laughs) And I thought, golly, that's so much me. You know, I like the way it is with people like me and that I enjoy and they're easy to get. And of course, when God gives you friendships like that, it's wonderful. And and I've been always so thankful for friendships like that but I have to ask the question, who am I laying my life down for? Who am I reaching? Who am I going for that is unlike me or that is unlovely as Jesus did for me? And and how do I manifest that within the body of Christ as well? Because we've, we've been redefined in that way. So that the church... It's not the church that's creating a a new community. It's not any individual that's creating this new community. It's the work of God. It's the work of God. And as he points out here, this, uh, the death of Christ, experiencing the death of Christ, really does cause you to brush up against judgment, doesn't it? You think of Paul talking about this early in 1 Corinthians 10 with the water in the Old Testament, the water from the rock that was Christ, and the food that they ate, which was, was Christ. And, and then he talks about the judgment that came upon them, even though they were enjoying those sacraments. And, and you realize that there's this element of the, the sacraments that proclaim blessing, and yet they proclaim that judgment was experienced for you to have this blessing. And that if I abuse and turn against the salvation offered, if I, in effect, trample underfoot the blood of Jesus by refusing to enjoy and delight in and benefit from His salvation and be humbled by it and broken by it, but somehow use it to further my own agenda, to make my own reputation. And sad to say... Some of what happens on TV, you just think, "Ah, I don't see how it's not happening. You know, the blasphemous things that are said about Christ and the blasphemous things that are done in the name of Christ. But what we must understand, there is this judgment that he talks about, and, and he talks about it pretty plainly, doesn't he? That some of you are actually not alive anymore because... You have so blatantly gone against God, so blatantly ignored and refused His love. And this would indicate, you see, that they do not, if this is the continued way of their life, that they really don't trust in Jesus. See? That they, they really aren't broken and humbled and amazed at His love and are gladly depending upon Him for salvation else they couldn't treat each other that way. And so the supper can, though it's meant for our blessing, it can certainly certainly be to our own judgment. You remember what Jesus said to the cities that refused him, that it would be better for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Because I came near to you, I manifested myself to you, and still you refused me. It'll be better for Tyre and Sidon. It'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah. And you're like, what? For radical evil Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon? Yes, better in Judgment Day to have done that than to be drawn near to the grace and mercy of God and refuse it. And refuse it. So, we come under judgment, but by God's grace, we come to a supper that says someone has been judged for you. Someone has been condemned for you. Someone has won salvation for you. You are forgiven and transformed and consecrated and made holy and acceptable through this work of this one. And oh, may we more and more and more rejoice in it and depend upon it and give ourselves up to what Christ will do in our lives. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we pray that you will enable us in the fullest way to proclaim your death in our lives and especially in our proclamation, Lord, to proclaim our own participation in it, our resolve and glad submission to its call to die to ourselves and live to Jesus and to give ourselves away as you've given yourself away to us, Lord. We thank you for precious words like Paul's. We walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, to follow Christ who suffered for you, leaving an example that He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten. Well, may we, Lord, by Your Spirit who fills us, by Your Spirit who joins us to Your life, may we manifest Your life. For as Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. O Lord, may that mark each one of us united to your blessed life and united to all that you've done for us and won for us. O Lord, bless us. Bless us with joyful, joyful sacrifice, even like our Lord. In his
0: name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain.